at the 8 a.m., Simon said there's some good stuff coming, and he said that in faith because he hadn't heard anything yet. Um, so I praise God for that. I've got Laura's flowers just over here. Just keep them safe. Um, Laura happened to have a baby in her hand, so we couldn't have flowers and babies. At the 8 a.m., when uh, Simon said there's a flower bar, I thought that's like a bar where you go line up for some vodka shots and there's some flowers as well. That's just my past helping me interpret the present. Um, so I don't know if some moms would have preferred that for Mother's Day, just, just a couple of quick shots just to help you get by. And then Simon says, no, 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 no. Flower bar, flower bar. I've never heard of it, uh, but I hope you enjoy it. Um, so happy Mother's Day to all the moms, especially my two moms. Happy birthday, mom. It's not a happy birthday, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'm not too good at this. This morning I dropped off our son, Caleb, at my other mom and didn't even wish her happy Mother's Day at all. So, and she's got my son. So, oh Lord, I need you. That was song three. Uh, I believe it. Um, but this Mother's Day not birthday. We are continuing in this wisdom series that Dunks kicked off last week. It's important because last year as elders, when we said, you know, the direction of our church for next year, we think the Holy Spirit is saying, we need to be a people of God's presence. But when we came up with the preaching series, we already put this series in early on because if we're going to be a people of God's presence, we actually need to implement God's wisdom into our mindsets and our calendars and our lifestyle in order for that to be a reality. It's not just a spiritual ambition. There's some wisdom, practical things that have to be embedded into our life to actually live it out. And that's why the series is a thing. And it's called, If Anyone Asks. And uh, it's based off of James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. We have the kind of God that if we need wisdom, which I do, we should all raise our hands to that one. God actually is the kind of God that wants to give wisdom to all generously without reproach. That means without finding a fault to disqualify us from wisdom. And so we should come and we should ask God for wisdom. And we thank God that in his word, he has revealed much wisdom to us. And we actually find ancient solutions from God for our modern day problems. And the modern day problem that we're gonna find wisdom for today is the problem of distraction. How many of you would say, yeah, no, that's not an issue for me. My life is defined by focus. I always do what's most important. I see the task through to the end and every day I accomplish the purposes which God has for me. How many of you would put your hand up for that versus how many of us would put our hand up for I actually find myself doing really unimportant stuff most of the time. My days drift away from me, and I look back, and I'm like, what did I just do that day? So many of us find ourselves in that camp, and I find myself in that camp. So what qualifies me for this preach is not that I'm an expert in focus, but that I'm an, actually an expert in distraction. I have great expertise and experience and skill at distracting myself. And so if you are like me, we actually find ourselves in a society that really struggles with distraction. We have found many experts looking at the way that we live life, we are conditioned 
for distraction. We are the most fragmented in our focus as a civilization versus anyone that has come before. And the problem is not just efficiency, although I will say about focus, a good night's sleep really helps focus. My, my top tip for you today, if you want to be good at focus, just don't have a baby. That's number one, but happy Mother's Day. But still, happy Mother's Day. For, thank you for bringing those distractions in. They're a blessing from the Lord. But um, what I will say is this thing of distraction is not just an enemy of productivity and efficiency, although it definitely is. It goes deeper than that. Because what we find with distraction is it actually hampers our ability to think, to be still in our minds, to actually meditate on God and to pray to Him. Spiritual discipline is impossible without focus. And so one thing that I want you to understand and log today is that distraction is actually something that the devil wants to use in your life to cut you off at the knees to not accomplish the great purposes which God puts you on this earth for. Because we find ourselves not focusing on the things that he's put before us and actually being fragmented and distracted. So, heading number one, distraction is a scheme of Satan. I want you to understand this is not a TED talk about how to be productive. This is a preach about the fact that not only does God have a plan for your life, but the devil does too, and it's very apparent in this generation and in this time that his tactic is to inundate you with useless stuff and to preoccupy your life with things that do not matter so that your life would be wasted. This is what I want you to understand from Charles Swindle. He said that Satan's strategy is to keep you busy with non-essentials of life so that you might miss out on the eternal significance of God's purposes. I want to put up this slide, and this is a principle I want us to log, that affection always follows our attention. So you, you, you understand why distraction's a problem. Not only does it grab our attention, which is already a problem, but there's a deeper rooted problem that wherever we put our attention, our affections of our heart are soon to follow. Wherever we put our attention, our affections will follow. So there is a battle going on right now. There is a war for your attention because the enemy wants to dilute your affection for God. He is after your heart, but he's going to go via the eyes. Where your eyes go, your heart follows. And so distraction is a satanic thing. It is a demonic thing, and it wants to rob you of the significance of your life and your relationship with Jesus. And so much is at stake here. Francis Chan said, when we neglect to seek God's face, our affections can be easily entangled. I so relate to that quote. When we, when we don't place our affections on God, we are so easily entangled by the cares of this world, leading to a spiritual shallowness and a diminished love for him. That is so true. And so one of the... Um, verses that it says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. I don't know where it is in my notes. In fact, I've played so fast and loose with my notes that I don't know. I'll have to read it off there. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And the context is what we have heard in Jesus, lest we drift 
away from it. The same way that your attention and your days drift away from you, the Hebrews writer is exhorting us amongst many voices in your day, podcasts, blogs, websites, you name it, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard in Jesus, lest we drift away from it. And if we drift in attention, our affections will drift as well. So understand this is a scheme of Satan. Well, let's get on the defense. Let's get some strategies in place. Sub point number one is if this is true, we must impose input limits. We must impose input limits. If you're like any of us in this digital age, you probably take in far too much media on a single given day. Too much for you to process, let alone for you to actually convert that processed information into long-term memory. In fact, uh, if you try to give your attention everywhere, you will end up giving your attention not well anywhere at all. If you feel pulled in every direction every day, you're not alone. We live in a time where people's attention is nowhere because it's trying to place it everywhere. In fact, neuroscience has put it this way, the abundance of fast information impoverishes our memory and addicts us to distraction. Okay, so that's just a scientific fact. That's just them physiologically looking at the activity of the brain, hooking people up, looking at the scans and saying an abundance of information that's processed quickly actually impoverishes your long-term memory and causes you to have a fragmented focus. Uh, Nicholas Carr, he's an expert on technology and culture. He said, the influx of competing messages that we receive whenever we go online not only overloads our working memory, that's a problem, it actually makes it harder for our frontal lobes to concentrate our attention on any one thing. And so the wisdom is this. Do not follow the trend of this world. Don't be conformed to it of trying to process a lot of different information on different topics quickly, but rather take your time to slowly process more selectively the inputs that you allow into your life. This is, I'm not even talking about Jesus right now. This is just from the standpoint of you don't wanna live a life where you don't process anything. You wanna read less, but you wanna read better stuff. You don't want to, you wanna learn about less things, but you wanna learn better. You wanna listen to less voices, but you wanna listen to more, care, more carefully because that is the wisdom of how you actually move in forward in knowledge. And what is normal for us is actually making us more stupid as a society as time goes on. That's just a fact. And that's a shallow motive, but the higher motive, the preacher's choice motive is this that the sheer volume of information that we shove in our heads every day pushes Jesus further and further from the front of our consciousness and he becomes strangely dim in the light of the links that we've just clicked on. And that becomes a humongous problem and a spiritual problem. It's a distraction issue and Satan's at the helm. Well, perhaps we should do more than just limit the number of inputs we allow into our brains per day. Perhaps we need a rhythm per week of sabbaticals from our screens. Listen, you don't even have to be a Christian to have advocated for this. This is just good health looking after yourself that you probably need a time where you unplug entirely from your screen. But just for you to understand whether you have a good relationship with your screens or an unhealthy one, I thought I'd put up some questions and you can take photos of it. You can reflect on these. How much of my media is for escape? And if so, what am I trying to escape from? 
Does my screen time leave me more recharged or more depleted? Is my media diet enriching my time with Christ or is it eroding it? Number four, how consistent and enriching is my personal devotional life? And number five, are my digital desires serving my God-given responsibilities or are they actually distracting me from them? As I look at that list, I feel, I don't know, I can't speak for yourself, I can only speak for myself, that when we put our devotional time with God and media together, we can usually come to an understanding that not everything we do is healthy and helpful for us living out our faith in Jesus. And perhaps what I would say to us is that many of us are actually controlled by our screens, not the other way around. That it's not us that are clicking on our devices and telling it what to do. We actually have a screen that is dictating to us and is our master over our life. If you give lots of time to it, imagination, keeping you up at night, distracting you from other important things, I want you to log that potentially that Jesus might be the God of your heart, but the functional God over your life is your screen. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for either you'll hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. And Jesus went on to talk about money, but the principle holds true for any master. You can't say that you serve Jesus, but actually functionally, your life is determined by a screen. And so many of us need to log this as an idolatry problem that we are not free to serve Jesus because we enslaved. And if that's you and if that's me, can I suggest that once a week we just unplug, we put down our phone, we put down, we turn off our PC if that's a thing, our laptops, we unplug for the, for the sake of connecting with Jesus for the sake of saying, my screen is not my God, Jesus is. That the affirmation I might receive from social media is not my source of my identity, it's Jesus. Some of us might need to take that time to unplug and plug into Jesus in order, to, just as a rhythm of life regularly to be healthy in this respect. And I feel we're so captured by our screens that I wanted to pray for you and for me and I put the prayer up on the screen. You can also take a photo if you want. But I'm praying this for you right now. That Lord, would you capture us by Christ? Digital amusements have never been more addictive, eye-grabbing, time-consuming, affection-dulling. So save us from wasting our lives by giving our precious attention to what ignores you and dishonors you. Capture us. We're not confident in our powers to delight in eternal things. So ignite us for you again. We need you. Don't let us drift. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A digital detox, even secularists would say it's a good idea. But I would say as a Christ follower, it's almost definitely should be part of our disciplines of our week. And then potentially not just limiting our inputs and having a screen sabbatical per week, but possibly having this filter on at all times that we must escort our eyes and ears. We can't let them lead us. We have to lead our eyes and ears. Psalm 101, the psalmist is super strong on this. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I wonder if we were to adopt that attitude, how much of our digital diet would disappear. If we would say that is worthless, that doesn't serve the purposes God has for me. Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body would be full of light. 
What we ingest is either darkness that we are reaping into our, sowing into our body, or it's light that we are sowing into our body. So if your eye is unhealthy, the faculties of your entire being will be unhealthy. It's the gate that we have to protect. We must at all costs escort our eyes and ears and not let them be led by the trends of this world, but let them be dictated by the trend of, is this in line with the light of Jesus or is it not? Rick Warren He says, the inputs you allow into your life will determine the output of your character. That's bomb. If you want to sow a godly character, you can't can't actually uh, put into your eyes anything that isn't godly. If you want an output of godly character, it's going to be by the inputs of godly material. Choose wisely to filter out anything that hinders your pursuit of righteousness. So it's not only about the amount of time we spend on our screens, it's also about how ruthless we are with what we observe. Because if we really want to live a life for Jesus, for his purposes, and to be on fire and effective in our spaces, places, and relationships, one way Satan will shortcut us on that is to just let our eyes and ears dwell on worthless things, sow into our souls things of darkness, and leave us shriveled up, ungodly, ineffective, and watch us waste away in a world of distraction. And so escort your eyes and ears. Are you guys with me? Maybe you're just convicted as I am, as I prepared this preach. But this is all things on the defense. I wanna put the front foot down and go on the offense. And I wanna talk a bit about godly focus. Because understand, this preach isn't really about holding our concentration. This is about having the correct focus and the right goalposts. And we want to actually make sure that our focus is godly. And so the first thing I would say under that is that if we're going to do that, we have to sharpen our start of our day. How we begin our day matters immensely in the scheme of our focus. What you do first thing in the day and where you put your attention has an extraordinarily misproportionately high ability to influence your focus for the remainder of the day. So be very vigilant about how you give attention to things at the beginning of the day. I want to ask you, what is the first thing that you put your attention to when you wake up? Do you look at the load shedding schedule? So the first thing you do is say, oh, flip, it's, it's, it's stage six now. I haven't had coffee. It's already off. How am I going to cook breakfast now? Caleb's milk. How, how are we going to, how are we going to heat that up now? Now it's a problem. Now I'm going to have to go buy a coffee at Starbucks. It's going to cost 40 rand. And then I'm going to be not going to have enough money for the end of the month. And a check's going to bounce. And then we're going to be in poverty. Then we're, going to, we're going to have to find some friend to, who's going to take us in for the night. It's too far. Too far. Okay, let's rein it in. Oh, flip, it's stage six. Dear, it's flipping stage six. Can you believe it? What a rubbish country we live in. Is that more realistic? So do you really want to hand the keys of influence of your day over to ESCOM? Do you think that's going to be a good stewarding of your focus for the day? I think that's really lacking in wisdom. Also, if you wake up in the day and you turn on social media, do you really want to tempt your heart with the highlights reel of your friend in Thailand first thing when you wake up. 
You feel envious. How are we going to live a day where our lives count for Jesus when the first thing we do in the day is we don't even concentrate on our own life but some other person's? We have no wisdom when it comes to where we put our attention in the beginning of the day, and of course, I'm including myself in it too. Scripture is clear that the thing we should put our eyes to first thing in the day is God and God alone. Because if we're gonna give anyone the keys to influence our day, surely it's the one who knows all things, who has our best interests at heart, the one who can encourage us with a word, the one who can correct falsehood with just a whisper, the one who can give us a prophetic direction for the day, the one who can spur our hearts on for godly purposes, the one who can actually put fire in our belly to say today's gonna count and it's gonna count for Jesus. Psalm 5 says this, Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. This guy's singing praises to Jesus in the morning. He's like, there's nothing better I can do with my voice than praise him. I bring my sacrifices to him. Um, where are we at now? Psalm 143, it says this, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for you I lift up my soul. This verse is full of stuff. Number one, this guy's like, I'm in your word. I'm hearing your voice first thing in the morning. If you wanna be insulated against distraction later, you need to spend the first thing in your day hearing the word of the Lord. Secondly, he says this, um, that he is establishing his trust in God. It is very difficult to establish your trust in God when the waves are hitting you at 11 o'clock and a meeting's been moved and the kids at school, but now they're actually sick and now auntie whatever has lost her cat and now it's just trouble it's very difficult to establish our trust in the lord when the waves are hitting it's much better to establish our trust in the lord in the morning and let that trust filter up like waves so that we might trust in him later and the third thing that he says this is that he looks to god for guidance for his day he doesn't say, I'm gonna hear what Tansani and Uim Flip have to say and let them dictate my day. It's not gonna be this link, that blogger, that YouTuber. It's gonna be God that I look to for guidance. Let him decide what the answer is for where I must, where I must spend my day. I love it that even Jesus did this. Mark 3, Jesus rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. That's like me this morning. That's for all the moms and dads in the house. We know that life Early in the morning, it's dark as all day. He went to a desolate place and there he prayed. So if we think that we are strong enough to start our day without God, consider that God incarnate, the second member of the Trinity, needed to spend time with his father before he actually started his day. So how do we think we will get by on just starting our day on cat videos? How's that gonna be the fuel that we need for the day? So sharpen your start. Secondly, fix your mind. Our mind is not something that we must just allow to drift and see where it goes, but rather something that we need to fix and fix on Jesus. Colossians 3 says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. It's an active word. It means that whether we're at home, whether we at work, or whatever we do in the world, that Jesus is high on the horizon of our consciousness and forever in our field of sight as we go through our day. We started it right. We sharpened 
our start, but now we must keep him high on the horizon of our consciousness, even as we're busy with stuff. And so it says this all over scripture that we must set our minds on God. Philippians 4, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Isaiah 26, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. First Peter 1, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to come. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. First Peter 4, the end of all things is at hand, so be sober-minded. First Chronicles 22, now set your mind and your heart to seek the Lord your God. Scripture is full of saying, don't let your mind drift. You set your mind. You have the power to do so. And these are battle cries saying, we've got to do this thing. A.W. Tozer, he says this, our minds are like gardens. We must cultivate them in order to bear good fruit. Setting our minds on Christ is the surest way to cultivate the garden of your mind. You can't have a fruitful day if you don't first cultivate a fruitful mind. So we need to set our mind on Christ actively. And so there's a lot of work to be done there. We might have to plant some seeds of truth from God's word. We might need to water it with prayer. We might, we might need to uproot some falsehood. But we must set our mind on Christ so that he can be high on the horizon of our minds through the day. And then the third important ingredient is we must know our mission. You've got to know your mission for the day or else you're gonna go lap aside, off to the side, of course, it says this in 2 Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits for his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Have you ever seen a soldier on duty, on mission, but they're just quickly getting something from the shops for Mother's Day? It doesn't happen. Soldiers are on duty. They have a commanding officer. Their movements are tracked. They're not allowed phones. Go check out the footage from Ukraine. This is something that is you have to do what you're set out to do and people's lives depend upon it. Well, that's a very, very militaristic image, but it's actually about a dude who's gonna take up a position at, at, a, at a workspace. His name's Timothy. And so when you're at work or whatever you've been given to do, understand this, that your objective is not your KPIs, it's not promotion, it's not being well thought of, it's not loads of money, it's to please the one who enlisted you. That in the places, spaces, and relationships you've been given, you've been put there by God. He's your commanding officer. You're on mission. Don't get entangled in all sorts of rubbish and distracted. Keep your eyes on the prize that your aim is to please the one who enlisted you. Corinthians and Colossians, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And whatever you do, word or deed, in everything, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when you get up in the morning, what do you hope to achieve with that day? What are your hopes? Or are you the type of person that says, I don't think that far. I just get up in the morning and do what I've got to do. Well, if that's the case, understand that you are cutting yourself off from a basic means of grace that there's a God who's the source of guidance, strength, and fruitfulness and joy for your life, and he wants your mind set 
on the goal and an aim for every day that you live because every day wasted can result in a life that becomes wasted and God would hate for us to just be leaves in the winter that are blown this way and that by circumstance. He wants our day to count for eternal significance. And eternal significance is determined by everything that we do from the changing of a nappy through to and addressing the United Nations it's all about whether we're doing it for the glory of God. And if we're doing it for Him, it's significant. It's significant and it has eternal purposes. And so Ephesians 5.16 says, this is urgent stuff. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. So our days are short the days are evil. Make the best use of your time. Don't be so busy drifting along, absorbed in the grind of life, that what you miss is God himself. And so I've got a, a story for you, true life story I'm going to tell you about my mom here in the front row. And I think it speaks to everything I'm trying to preach about here. Um, a, a long time ago when my mom was just a bit younger than me, 31 years old, she was in a car accident and I was in the back, I was in the baby seat, but miraculously none of us died, even though the car flipped and rolled multiple times off the highway. And my mom found out that she broke her neck and that she would be a quadriplegic for life, no movement or feeling from the neck downwards. And I've sometimes tried to imagine what it would have been like to, to have that pain. And yes, there's physical pain involved, but imagine the emotional tax of being told you'll never walk again. And you are 31 years old. And recently now with our son being four months old, it's difficult for me to leave the house and go to work and leave him because I want to be with him. And I've tried to imagine what it would have been like for my mom when I was seven months old to no longer be able to pick me up, change a nappy, feed me, raise me, but be stuck in hospital while many other people put in their shifts to try and raise me. Recently now with Caleb, I find it a heartbreaking thing that that's where she was at. And then at the end of that year, my parents and, and some of the family went on holiday. And if there was ever a time to put in my mom's face everything that she once used to love that she cannot now anymore do, it's to go to the beach and the sea and not be able to get there, but to look from afar. And she can't anymore make it through the beach to the sea. It's too thick in the sand. She can't swim anymore. My mom was full of sorrow. She asked my dad that day to push her out on the pier so that at least she could feel the sea breeze on her face and just wanted my dad to leave her alone so that she could sit there. And she turned and she saw people playing beach volleyball, beach tennis, swimming in the sea, sand castles, things that she used to love that she can no longer do. And it was in this moment of despair that something incredible happened, that she heard the Almighty God speak to her. And he said, 
and she was looking at all the people enjoying themselves. She said, all your life, God said to her, all your life, you've been busy with my creation, but you've never stopped to look into the face of the creator. And I've chosen you to come and to look into my eyes. And in the power of the roars of the ocean, and she remembered the song that she sung religiously at church, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. My mom says that she had a true encounter with God and that she had binoculars, but they were facing the wrong way and God turned them around. And suddenly she could see God and she knew him. And she says that all of the self-pity drained from her that day. And she says it's never come back since. And my mom, we went through the story just the other day, just to make sure I've got the details correct. That my mom had a deep revelation that day that she has been distracted with the things God made and his people. But she had missed the most important thing, the creator himself. And suddenly God had put that into focus. And now I want you to understand that in light of that encounter with Jesus, my mother has lived out the life of being fixing her eyes upon Jesus. If there's one thing I can tell you for a fact about my mother is she knows the revelation to slow down, not focus on distractions, but fix her eyes on Jesus. This here is a woman who knows God's presence deeply. And I wanna say to you today, mom, for Mother's Day, the greatest honor that I could give you is to say everything I wish I could communicate about focus on God is your life. Everything I wanna say in this sermon pales in comparison to me just seeing you and how you live your life for Jesus. And I am who I am because of you because of your eyes on Jesus and your prayers for, to Jesus and your time with Jesus. Yes, God gets the highest honor and glory, but you're the vessel and I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for your eyes on Jesus. And for that, I couldn't ask for any other mother. So I'm sorry that you couldn't have been with me in those early days of my life, but it's God has redeemed it all. Because today, my eyes are on Jesus. I'm not as great as you are at it, but everything I want to communicate, I wish I could just put up on the screen your life to show what it is to live a life with eyes fixed on Jesus. And so this is a story about a mom who went through a tragedy and God had to remove a lot of stuff that was joyful in her life. But it's still richer at the end because she has Jesus and she has focus on the one thing that matters. And so for all of us, I want to preach to all of us out of that. Actually, why don't you stand with me while I wrap it up? This is a wisdom series, but it's a wisdom series that's designed to help us be a people of God's presence. And I would hate for any of us to come to the end of our life 
and realize we've been busy with the stuff God created and people, but we've missed the creator. That at the end of our life, we were so busy with the grind, we wasted our life. And that we never put our eyes where they most belong, which is on Jesus at the center. And so I'm pleading with us because I'm so convicted by this message. Can't we just keep it simple? Can't can't we just put down our phone? Can't we just switch off that screen, open our Bible, kneel down on our knees, lift up our hands and worship Jesus and make sure that our life for all of its failures does not fail on this one front, that our focus is on being with Jesus and that we will be precious about protecting one thing, it's being with our Lord Jesus, that our focus belongs there. And so I'm singing this next song as a prayer and maybe you will as well. It's like a hymn. And so I'm praying this as I'm singing it, Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it has always been and it's always been you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do because Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it has always been and will always be you, Jesus. Let that be the cry of our heart and the prayer that we lift up as we sing these words. Let's sing them.